Hi, this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. My guest this week in the studio, Derek Ritchie. Derek, very fortuitous that you're here. May this That's month. That's right. Yep. Historic Preservation Month here in Bloomington. Right. It, it's also fortuitous because we're we're all coming around to our bicentennial as well. So yes, and the reason this is fortuitous is because Derek Ritchie, you're the gentleman who founded Bloomington Fading. Mm-hmm. You co-founded it. Right. You're the author of the book, and you've got a nice copy of it right in front of us. Mm. Only so I don't. Only so I don't forget things. That's it. <laughs> Bloomington then and now. It's got both text and gorgeous photography in it. Thank you. You're the president of an outfit called Bloomington Restorations Incorporated. Wait, I got more. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> You're a commissioner. You're on the City of Bloomington Historic Preservation Commission. You, know, you were appointed by the City Council. Honored. You've even got a day job. (laughs) I do. I know. How do I find time for it? (laughs) You're the development manager for the March of Dimes, the South Central Indiana region. Keeps me busy. (laughs) So many guests I have on this program, I always want to know, when do you people go to sleep? Do you people ever nap? Yeah, I actually do nap, believe it or not. I try to. What is Bloomington Fading? Bloomington Fading originated... um, just sort of uh, as a project, I remember um, seeing photos of uh, Paris, um, post-war France, and somebody had done a then and now book, or it was on online um, that I saw, and it had photos of Paris before the war and then directly after oh. to show you kind of what was still left. Yeah. And I already had a few photos of Bloomington, old older photos of Bloomington. I thought, well, that's a cool thing. Let me go check this out. Now, this is seven years ago at this point. And so, yeah, um, I would go out with my camera and I try to take the photo from the exact same spot at the exact same angle as the person who took the photo in 1887 or whenever that photo was taken. Right. Um, and what I came to realize after doing it for a couple years is a lot of the buildings and places that I was uh, looking at in the photos, the black and white photos, were long gone. And that was a consistent theme over and over and over again. I was taking photos of parking lots or just open grass fields where there were no buildings left. And then I knew there was a story that I needed to figure out uh, more about. And that's what happened to Bloomington. What happened to old Bloomington? Why? But but that's a thing that happens all over the nation, it the does. United States. You mentioned Paris, you mentioned France. There's great history in Europe and in other continents. Right. But here, great history is like uh, 15 years ago. That's right. It can be, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But a lot of the great, uh, old, beautiful Victorians and Italianate structures and even some Georgians and, you know, people don't realize that Kirkwood was, you know, a residential neighborhood full of huge, gigantic houses. And, of course, we only know Kirkwood Manor because it's one of the few that survived. But, of course, if you look up, say, above Pizza Cafe, you'll notice that, oh, if I look up and get on my tippy toes, there's a house back there that's surrounded by Pizza Cafe. Yeah. Cafe Pizzeria. Cafe Pizzeria. And there there are a few of those along the way. But um, those really went from the gates 
all the way uh, to Washington Street, almost Washington Street, so full of houses. Were these the uh, gentry of Bloomington, the the rich people, the really rich people of Bloomington? Yeah, some of them were. Some of them were lawyers, um, architects, mm-hmm. and uh, there's some famous stories about some of them because they had their houses built for them, but they uh, never lived in them because they ran off with their secretaries to Indianapolis. <laughs> we can get into some of those stories if you like, but there's some there's some fun ones. But they were, yes, they were generally uh, the more well-off. Of course, you didn't have to be you know, m- m- uh, tremendously wealthy back then to afford um, a house like that. But the question was, you know, why did why did we make that massive change, and why did other cities do it? Because I was able then to start telling the story of why it happened in Indianapolis to the Jazz District. It's the same thing. We see the sort of urban renewal mentality, mm-hmm. even though it wasn't part of an actual urban renewal program. Bloomington wasn't, except for West 11th Street where public housing was built in the uh, late 50s. Right. But that mentality that everything that was old was bad and needed to come down was something that began to permeate and grew out of the whole idea that was embedded within uh, urban renewal, which was that we need to tear down old stuff because it's not good to live in and we need to build new stuff. And then we need to do all this new zoning too, which would end up turning all these residential uh, neighborhoods into, you know, commercial and what do you do now and that's kind of what happened to kirkwood and um so yeah and multi-family buildings on a lot that previously had been a single family lot that's right right and they they would turn into to rentals for students obviously some of them city right adding to the problems that come about from more people right i mean it, it is part of it is was is was definitely you know we were growing as a city but oddly enough, um, in the four, in the fifties and the late forties, when we started this process, and in, then into the sixties and seventies, even then, when we, we had more and more people coming here, those lots, in a lot of cases, along say North College or South College, which you know has been a sea of pavement for years, Ooh. no one ever filled them with anything. Yeah. So the density or the growth ended up happening outside of the heart of our city, and not in the inside of the heart of the city, where most of those things remain parking lots in in many cases and isn't there a story about you first arriving in this town what happened (laughs) well uh i remember taking my first walk in bloomington and this is in 1991 Uh and uh, i started on 11th street and at that point as i headed south on 11th and college uh south on college there were just there were empty lots empty lots parking lots on the right there was like a dog grooming store which used to be an a and w root beer but outside of that it was just pavement on that whole side for a whole block until you got to the very top there were a few houses left and i kept walking and then on the left side past 10th street there was a waffle house but then just more pavement all the way down to big red and i kept thinking gosh what happened to this town why is there so much pavement here right and uh i answered my story uh i answered my question i didn't answer it for 20 years but i answered it eventually by doing research for this book and um getting more involved so you said you were taking photos uh, putting yourself in the position where the photographer 100 years ago was right and you were just doing this 
for yourself. I thought it would be a fun project for the family. I did a lot of this with my son as well, uh, who's 17 now, and it's hard to believe. But, you know, he was just a little guy then, 9, 10 years old. But he would go with me. Yep. And and he got really good at finding some of these. He he would say, this is the angle. This has got to be the angle. He would get good at it, too. So I thought it would be a great family project. And not only did it turn out to be that, it it turned out to be a obsession. I wanted to document every uh, single building that ever stood in bloomington there are a few that have evaded me unfortunately but not many and uh yeah it it, it has been i think the the one that's evaded me the most is the waldron mansion which would have been just across the street on madison from uh what we now call well it's the batman house but we call it the garrett and it's the one that looks like a big castle there along okay. West Kirkwood Street. Yeah. Um, but that those that was a residential neighborhood as well, filled with mansions. And the biggest mansion in town or house in town was the Waldron Mansion, and it was torn down in the late fifties uh-huh. um, by someone who bought the land, and then they built a grocery on it. You might remember it was who a wants grocery this store. old thing? That's right? right. You're doing this for yourself, and eventually it becomes a Facebook page. It does. Um, And not only a Facebook page, but then a website. And, you know, this is something I thought maybe 70 people would be interested in. Yeah. And then it was 700 people were interested in it. And then it was 8,000. And I thought, wow, this is really crazy. Um, There's a book in this somewhere, if I can put one together. And so um, I did. And then, you know, I continued to work on the, the website and writing articles. Whenever I would find something or discover something I thought interested me, I would write about it, and if it didn't interest anybody else, that would be fine, but I had to get it out of me because, you know, it was it was a discovery about something about Bloomington that I thought was really interesting, and it turns out other people think it's kind of interesting, too, so uh, it, it really had a life of its own. Now, going back a little, you said you got, uh, got around here in about 1991, 91, right? yeah. Where do you come from? I'm an army brat. Uh-huh. So I've lived everywhere, and I really don't have a hometown. So when I moved here to go to college, I fell in love with this town, <laughs> even though it had a lot of parking lots. Um, <laughs> I still love the square, and I, I just love being in this uh, sort of refreshing, artistic, open mind sort of community, open-minded community. So I managed to stay here, and I call it my hometown, but I've lived all over the world. You know, I've lived in Germany. I've lived all over the United States. I went to three high schools, so change is something I I got used to, but uh, maybe that's somehow somehow an inspiration is I also want to study why change happens. So uh, I don't know if they're linked in any way, but who knows. Before we started recording, you and I were talking about how I grew up in a bungalow in Chicago, beautiful yeah. old bungalow that had fantastic woodwork all around, crown mm-hmm. moldings and so forth. And then at a certain point in time, in the 1950s, say, people started saying, oh, wood in a house, that's horrifying. <laughs> and they right. painted over it. Yep. That, that's another example of, well, that's old. Get right. rid of it. Right. And, you know, that's something I do. I do a presentation, and I've been doing it now for three or four years. And, and the, at the very beginning, you know, you really do get the idea that the 
uh, folks in the 50s and the 60s were very, especially coming out of World War II, convinced they had all the answers. Uh-huh. They had more technology now. They had more math. They were smarter. They, you know, so they kind of almost discounted everything mm. about our uh, the folks in the 18 uh, late 1800s and how they thought about city planning, what they yeah. thought about architecture, and they basically said that's all garbage, and they just rolled it up in a big wad and they threw it in the fire and they said that 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 was that's all caveman stuff yeah let me show you what we can do now and with city planning as well and and you know we got to the point it got so bad by the 50s and 60s we were celebrating parking lots like there would be a ribbon cutting service (laughs) the mayor would come and you know because we needed more parking lots for more cars right and um you know we had really just latched on to this this whole concept of progress as they put it back then and if you got in the way of that then you were you know you were sentimental or there was something really wrong with you and uh, that's why we almost lost our courthouse because yeah you know they thought progress we need this big 11-story building county building in the middle of our or a parking lot either one of the two they were open to both ideas right and thankfully because of people like charlotte zitlow yeah. and and others who are committed to preservation back in the 50s and 60s were able to stop that but could have happened that courthouse in about the year 1980 1981 was falling apart it i'm was. told this is before my time here right uh, i'm told there were holes in the floors there were locked doors uh, that you couldn't open nobody had the key to right that type of deal mm-hmm. and i think that had we done that had we not held on to the courthouse even though it was in poor shape we could have done something horrible like say what anderson indiana did who had probably one of the most beautiful um, courthouses in all of northern indiana and they tore it down and they built a, a new county building it looks like a bank they also tore down three sides of their square so they don't have a square oh, in my. fact their whole downtown is a gigantic parking lot full of pavement now there's nothing to come back that Anderson can, can do now to come back from that. They're right. done. Go All on. the charm is gone. So we were lucky enough, and this is sort of the positive part of my presentation that I do, to save our square and save sort of the heart of our city. And we're still charming. There's still charm there. And uh, But cities like Anderson, they're done. They'll never get it back. Well, that brings up a, a point I wanted to raise, and that is squares we associate in our minds with small towns right simple small towns you know the economic activity surrounds the courthouse is bloomington a small town or a big city i think it's a small city (laughs) let's Uh go there (laughs) um i and i don't you know when you drive around indianapolis and it used to be brought you know really before it was all just considered indianapolis you had beach grove you had all these smaller town cities yes. that were eventually would get incorporated and a lot of them still have the heart of what would you would call a square as well and a, a square was built in, on that grid system for a reason it, it was because it was permeable you could get in and out there was uh-huh. lots of space for walking and looking into the shops so you were you, you could see what was going on on inside the shop and it was about community and connecting with other people people came to the square to talk to one another to talk about politics to just share stories and get to know one another and uh, we were kind of losing that as a community now the students still used it by the 60s and the 70s uh, and sort of the counterculture was still around you know all the way through the 80s and 90s as well uh, on the square 
but um, we lost a, a lot of that as our community spread outward into the suburbs. Thankfully, because we held on to our square and we did fix it up and it looks great now, it's alive with business, it's alive with people, it's still there for the community to enjoy. So um, that's the It good was thing. really dying at one point. You're going late 50s, early 60s. It was thought of as a place you just didn't want to go. Right. And if you look at the movie Breaking Away in the background, yeah. um, and you're like, oh my gosh, that place is really falling apart. Yeah. And there's a pornography movie place all the way. <laughs> you're thinking, it, this is kind of seedy, a seedy area by the right. 70s. Um, I remember, though, my old friend Carol Krauss, who is no longer with us, she was, um, coming to, she was in college here at IU in the 70s, and she said, but we used it. It was still for us. Uh-huh. We, the are the students. It was yeah. part of our community, so we still used it. But yeah, I mean, it. it uh, you talk to people like Doug Bruce, whose parents owned the Betty Jean shop, and they said he he said, you know, uh, we were one of the very few steady stores holding on. Yeah, um, there was a shoe store on the south side, but there were a lot of boarded up stores. Yeah, it was rough. Now, Carol Krauss wrote the book on the Showers building. The Showers Brothers, yeah. Um, and um, uh, unfortunately, she passed away a few years ago, but uh, uh, also did an our regular article for the Herald Times yeah. um, about um, architecture and the history of Bloomington. And she was a real... Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, she taught me so much. We spent a lot of time taking photos together of different buildings, and uh, she was a real mentor for me. I'll never forget her. Now, the Showers Building, for those who may not know, was a huge campus. Uh, When I say building, I should say buildings. Yes. They made furniture. They were a gigantic employer. In fact, to the best of my recollection, I think at a certain point in time, they employed a quarter of the city's population. That would be right around that number, right. Yeah. Um, They were um, the biggest employer in Bloomington for many, many years. And, you know, they kept the city wealthy in many ways because you had to have floor managers and they got paid well. Right. And you had to have uh, directors of departments. And uh, so we had a very, I would wouldn't say wealthy community, but a fairly well-off community, especially when you match that with the limestone industry, which yeah. was booming at that time, and the um, uh, manufacturing, which was starting to kind of lift off in the 40s and 50s with RCA. And then, of course, you had the university. So things were looking really good right up until, for them, the Showers brothers, right up until the 50s and 60s, when they right. just couldn't compete anymore. Yeah, and, let's just mass produce stuff. Right. No longer was it artisanal work right yeah exactly why go and buy really expensive furniture from uh, these guys when you could just go to a box store and yeah and buy you know some furniture well it could have been at a certain point in time that that entire uh showers campus would be raised right but it isn't i know we know that it serves as City Hall, City Hall, and it, their county office is in there too. And it was a, it, I, you know, I can't say enough about the vision of the people back. Because when I got here in '91, those were all empty buildings. In fact, I walked through them because I was curious. What and, were they? And in fact, uh, the university I think was using one portion of the building just storage as a place yeah. to store junk. Yeah, it really was. And um, I'm surprised they didn't tear it down when they owned it because they certainly there was nothing stopping them 
from right. doing that. But thank God we didn't. I think it's one of the most wonderful um, city halls I've ever been in, and I've been in a lot of city halls in Indiana, just kind of looking around. Um, it just it has a, an aura of its history when you walk through that building. I love it. What do you know of the story behind getting it done? I don't know a whole lot, surprisingly. Okay. Um, I've done much more research on saving the um, the courthouse than I have yeah. on that. And uh, uh, I, I was more of an introvert when that all happened. Um, this is, um, what, 10 years ago, 12, 15 years ago this happened, the, the saving of the... The showers, the showers, uh, the, the 90s, I'm, I'm yeah. the, uh, the mid 90s. Right. I was sort of a shy introvert. This book c- kind of changed me. I oh, had really? to, I had to come out of my shell, I guess. Um, <laughs> I remember the first time the Monroe County commissioners asked me to do a presentation of some of the photos I had taken. And at that point I had maybe 50. My first instinct was to say no. Because, oh my God, I don't want to present this in front of people who actually know a whole lot about wow. Bloomington history. But then I talked myself into just start to, to start saying yes to things. And I started coming out of this weird introvert shell that I'd been living in for years. And I found out I'm actually, you know, at this point, it doesn't sap my energy to be around a lot of people, but it used to. It really used yeah. to. I don't know how that happens, but um, it was a part of this. You yourself. <laughs> You know that's that's actually somewhat true. It is this. I'm a restoration as a person, I guess. Hey, going back to the small town, big city thing. Yeah. If we aspire to be a big city, how can we keep our small town charm? Well, we're going to have to keep the core number one. We and we're already doing that. You know, uh, you can't do things on our uh, near the in or around the square without it being approved by the Historic Preservation Commission. So because it's a historic district. That's right. Uh-huh. Um, and and what hammer do you have to stop someone who owns a building from doing that? We have demolition delay, and you'd be amazed how many times we've said, well, I'm sorry, we want you to think about this a little longer and think about the other options longer, and we'd like to do more research on the building before you, you decide to tear it down. Uh, and this is in other historic districts. Nobody's really decided to tear anything down downtown yet, so we haven't had to really face that, and nobody would even think to do it because it would, they'd have to go through you know they'd have to jump over so many hoops and get some so nobody's even thought about it but we have houses in other historic districts that we've said to people we want you to think about this and they come back 30 days later and they said yeah you're right i have thought about it and i think we're going to fix this thing up because i understand it's going to be worth a lot more money than if we tear it down and build something new and that's the truth so they're doing it not out of the kindness of their heart necessarily. Rarely, but yeah. <laughs> but they're doing it because it helps them themselves, yes. their yes. bottom line. It does. We just had a gentleman uh, a month ago who came in. He owned two houses. Both of them were bungalows in a fairly nice neighborhood. One of them was his parents' bungalow. They had passed away. It was pretty run down. And the other one that he lived in currently was one he had vinylized <laughs> so, uh, many years ago. And he wanted to vinylize his other bungalow. And we, we simply told him, listen, you know, if you, you hold on to this house and you fix it up the right way and you paint it and you don't vinylize it and you restore it to, you know, as close as you can back to its uh, old, um, the original way, yeah, yeah. You, this house is going to be, you can retire. If you sell this house, you'll probably be able to retire in the neighborhood you live in. <laughs> and he's, you know, a, a, he, a man of, of fairly modest uh, means and uh, 
yeah, he decided that's a great idea. After looking into it, we we told him it would cost him just as much as it would to, to vinylize the house. So, so rather than being tough guys and saying hell no, you can't do right, that, right? You say, look, this is going to help you. Yeah, and and you know, people I think sometimes have uh, this idea that. Uh, we're all big, mean people at the Bloomington Historic Preservation Commission. But I can tell you, since I've been there, and it's been a number of years now, um, we're all very fairly reasonable people. Um, and, you know, we we really try to empathize with the people that come in and, and are asking for whatever they're asking for. You're one of 13 on that commission. Right. Yes. All right. Does this historic preservation sort of stand in the way or obstruct growth and business no um i would say that um at this point it, it it's it hasn't it, it's not going to we have most of the historic districts are not in commercial areas for obvious reasons uh-huh. because our commercial areas are the mall and strip malls and all those things wonderful things in the 50s and 60s i'm joking there that we decided were was was good commercial city planning you know, those are the areas that, you know, are already listed as commercial. They're going to stay commercial. And I'm sure as we expand out into more more of our area here in Monroe County, which I don't know how we're going to stop doing if we continue to grow like we're doing, unless we start to grow up, which is maybe what you're talking about, which we kind of already started doing with all these apartment complexes going, you know, eight stories and or. Uh, we or see higher. things on Kirkwood Avenue already that are yes. under construction and so forth. Right, like the new hotel, which, um, you know, I was not a big fan of. It's, I think, 72 feet over variance. It's, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's. It's going to obscure partially the the view we're all used to as we look towards the, um, the courthouse. But you know, maybe that's a sign that progress is not going to be impeded. But at this point, we're still saying yes much more often than we're saying no, and that's you know that's not anything that we can do anything about the historic preservation commission that's more city planning mm-hmm. um and that they're the ones giving the thumbs up thumbs down uh, along with city council for those kind of projects so um yeah and there was as you know no nothing historic where that hotel was being built right now yeah. left so um there was nothing we could do are there any structures in town that you're particularly concerned about right now something that may be lost soon you know, the ones that really concern me the most are the ones that are because the leadership at Indiana University is changing. Uh-huh. Currently, we have this really great relationship with Indiana University. Okay. And when they have a structure that they want to tear down like they did along Dunn, South Dunn, a number of years ago, yeah. right now they come to us and say, we'll help move these. Where do you want it? Find a lot and we'll, we'll donate it to you. Um, and um, I'll, I think you remember along 8th Street when they're going to build the new sorority there um, near campus in the uni- old university neighborhood. Uh-huh. You know, that was a concern, but eventually they came through and they moved those houses to empty lots within that neighborhood instead of tearing them down. But I'm still concerned that even though the current administration is so thoughtful about this, that that might not always be the case 10 years down the road when we have different people with different mindsets. Yeah. So I think that's always something our community is going to have to keep a look on, an eye on, and that relationship with IU needs to continue to be cultivated uh, regardless of who takes those leadership roles because 
the roles are going to change, the people are going to change, the thinking might change. So we need to make sure we always have our, our hand out and our ears open and our eyes open uh, as well. I think that's where we got to keep our eyes open and the county is another place where we have to continue to keep our, our eyes open. There are some wonderful old um, farmhouses out there mm-hmm. that p- we're lucky the, the purchasers of one of this this house and that house have been people who always dreamed of owning a farmhouse out in the county, you know, and so they've fixed them up instead of tearing them down. But there are a few that are still out there that are abandoned. Uh, I don't want to point out which ones because then they get vandalized. And so those are the ones we have to keep our eyes on as well, because again, out in the county, there are no rules. Derek Ritchie, he is among many people in town hmm. who help us hold on to our past. He's a preservationist. Thanks for joining us on Big Talk. Thank you for having me, Michael. It was a pleasure. Mm-hmm.